This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming in your ear holes. October 1st. We smash it 10 yards tonight. A buck we call pickles. A south wind pushing us back to the zag. Better stand on our back. Set it out and see what happens. You on it? Huh? That's the air going out of me. Absolutely drilled in. And boom, he said, Good buck. We'll get my buck, then we're gonna go get homie's buck. It's been urban peace as hell. Got him. Pickles is dead. Kevin Gates, both kills on hanging hunts. My first public land book. Nice work, dude. Look at that. Triple brow on the right. I'm digging that. Fucked out October 28th. An absolutely incredible season. Here we go. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming in your ear holes. We're talking Velvet Bucks this week. Where can you find them? How can you hold them? How can you get on them? And we're talking to Clint McCoy at master at this this guy is always on a giant he's on a giant right now killed two giants last <laughs> year uh giant year before his family's killing giants um just a really cool guy uh really genuine dude that knows knows his way around whitetail and there's a lot of good intel in this episode on where you're going to find these bucks and how you can get on them um it's going to people make this possible we're going to get in the show start off with ride on optics one thing i love about the scope for them um, been messing with it on the muzzleloader quite a bit, getting her sighted in, is that thumb wheel, um, that extended thumb wheel. Um, if you got a glove on or you need to do a quick change, 
Um, sometimes those dials are a little hard to turn, but that extended thumb wheel makes it real easy, real simple to tune it in exactly what you want. And um, uh, I had someone mess with me about it and say, um, a guy at work was asking me if it could clear a lot of, he was worried about the clearance on it, you know, whether it would clear his gun with the thumb wheel and they are removable. So if you do buy the scope and you can't use a thumb wheel for some reason, <clears throat> they are on the top of the, the, the scope. So most of the time it would clear, um, but on some guns they won't. Um, it is a removable thumb wheel. You just unscrew it and you're good to go. Um, if you want more information there, you check them out at rideonoptics.com. All right, guys, switching gears here to Exodus Outdoor Gear. Last week, we introduced to you guys their new product line, the Exodus MMT Arrows, custom-built arrows. Um, and this week, we're going to kind of get into some of the techni te more technical knowledge for you guys. Um, so the Exodus MMT is just simply built different. Um, it features patented and proprietary 4K outer layer weave at a one-to-one -one ratio, and that's going to increase your torsion strength for durability while eliminating weave gaps. This offers balanced strength from all sides of the shaft and identical shaft diameters, so that's unmatched accuracy and performance. The MMT carbon inner tube strengthens and stiffens the front end of the arrow, allowing unmatched arrow recovery, reduced energy loss by forcing the shaft into equilibrium at a faster rate, and providing noticeable more downrange efficiency. So the manufacturing process uses ceramic mandrels. This allows for slower, more consistent cooling, curing for better material integrity and creates uniform shaft diameters with no taper. These arrows are also flushed with airfoil technology. Aerospace technology meets wilderness. These fletchings on the Exodus MMT create a quieter flight, faster spin rate, tighter flight profile, and less crosswind effect for more efficient downrange arrow flight. So you guys can check these out on ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Check out their 3D Aero Builder, and um, a half dozen is going to run you $119.50, and a full dozen is going to be $239. And also from Exodus is something I get jacked about every year. Velvet Fest is finally here, guys. Um, this is pretty much the official start to deer season for us. And uh, this year, Exodus is going to run Velvet Fest from July 15th through August 19th. And they got some awesome prizes for people that are going to use the hashtag Velvet Fest on social media. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, Velvet Fest is a perfect opportunity to get ready for this season. Exodus is going to be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout the campaign. And to get things started, they're going to throw in 20% off any multiple Exodus render or any render bundle for the first 100 orders. So that's going to start on July 15th. Just use the code VELVETFEST to lock in those savings. Also, in addition to that, every single camera order is going to come with a random price card. And we've been told it includes some big deals, including the new Exodus MMT Tailored Arrow. So you guys know over the last seven years, Exodus has been shoving out quality products and um this is no different here so velvet fest is underway guys here in just a couple days and um i'm ready to get ready to get going here so get your order in there to get saved up to 15 to 25 percent off your next camera or arrows and uh be sure to get signed up for their newsletter at exodusoutdoorgear.com all right is that it that's it man all right, guys, let's get into the show. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, we got Clint, the back, two back, 
buckslinging champion. How's it going, brother? <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I always like being on with you guys, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Um, you're a voice that I think has the uh, right perspective on life. You're a badass dude. You're a kick-ass hunter. And uh, I love when we can have you on because I think your voice needs to be heard by more people. Um, really enjoying your posts when you, you're making them. I love your uh, your story format writing, man. You got that down. When you start writing a post, I can, I'm right there with you. So I, like I don't that. have that. I don't have that skill. I can't use a script of words and bring <laughs> people along in a story. I wrote a, write a post on Instagram. I'm like, man, this probably sounds stupid. I can't. <laughs> no, see, that's the first thing you got to get out of your own mind. Just seriously, let it rip. Like I'm always, a, I'm my own worst critic. And if it, if I put something out there just for fun like that, it, it, you don't need to pressurize it and I'll just let it rip, man. Yeah. Well, um, you are the king at finding summer bucks. Um, we get a few pictures and you share a little bit with us. Um, you're always on a giant uh, this time of year. Um, we were talking kind of about who we wanted to have on for summertime and homie's like man clint is always on a giant and i'm like yeah he is always on a giant in the summer and we know that you put a lot of nights in out there finding these deer this time of year probably more than 90 percent of the other guys do so uh just give a brief description about what who you are and what you do and then we'll get right into it oh yeah so i grew up in southeastern illinois on uh kind of a small family dairy farm so we've got some family ground here and you know it's prairie ground we hunt broken farm broken farm timber, you know, broken timber, ag ground, and um, not far from the Wabash River. So we have some good genetics and good soil around, you know, decent hunting. Um, but I'm a knock and talk kind of guy. I don't, I'm a veterinarian by trade. So a lot of people locally bring, you know, I treat their pets all the time. And it's a good way to break the ice with landowners and such. And that's really helpful. Um, and you know, you can get some permission from neighbors and family and stuff like that. It's always nice because you're kind of hunting where you grew up. You get real familiar with an area over time like that. Yeah, but, but like, all right, this month's flea treatment is free as long as I can hit the back 40. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some uh, shadier deals done than that. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Whatever it takes, brother. Well, like you were saying, you are always on an absolute giant this time of year and not only like a one giant you're on a lot of really good deer a lot of velvet bucks so uh what are you doing in a nutshell to find those deer this time of year well i'll tell you what i used to do and it didn't work um i used to think that just driving the roads with a pair of binoculars and a chuck was not it's not it's scrap it it's borderline next to useless in my opinion anymore because i think so many people stick to that and it's you can use it it's viable but I don't do it hardly anymore at all. Um, people vehicle pressure deer away anyway around here and it just doesn't work worth the shit. But, you know, we, I like to do, I like to observe from as far away as I can. Typically I'm looking at bean fields or hay fields here in Illinois. Um, you know, the ground here is prairie, so it doesn't roll as much. And there are places, you know, there are places where you can see a long ways. There's places that you can't. Um, it's not all flat like, um, you know, north central Illinois, where it's just nothing but pancake, but there are places that I can observe from long distance. Typically, I'm looking for um, 
but looking at beans, looking at alfalfa fields, clover fields, even short corn fields, um, as soon as wheat harvest hits, um, I love hitting fresh wheat, uh, just the same night the combines are in the field harvesting. For some reason or another, I feel like whitetails really are drawn to that open, like, hey, wait a minute, there used to be a giant field of shit that we couldn't walk through here. And now we can like walk around and go, man, this is pretty nice. And I like, I like hitting um, those wheat fields right when the combines are there. You can really get, you know, typically in about the last part of June, and you can really get on a good buck and um, sit back and observe from distance and, and look for shade lines. And that's what sucks sometimes about, you know, these hiking and sits. I try to, I try to use these spots kind of year in, year out. So I'll have like a little, you know, like, what these guys that film wildlife call a hide somewhere in the weeds up on the knob hell an old oil tank battery is one of them um it is stuff like that just kind of created with um being able to get in long range it and sit back and observe for three or four nights in a row um and you know sometimes we're following deer from the last year what we didn't get shot like we were talking about earlier there and um very rarely anymore are we starting with a zero hit list you know i mean we're starting with you know a, a net four a net five from last year that we know have survived we've got trail camera images got sheds from um so that's always a you know it's a super good way of starting the summer is by already knowing where some might be following up with it check it off the list like that one i sent you a photo of he was a number one hit list buck and went in there and found him. Now we're on to like, you know, the second and the third on the list. And we try over the summer to just build a, like a list, you know, you're not going to be able to kill every one of them. Some of them shift, some of them get hit by a car, some of them neighbor kills. Um, if, but if you can start the list or a season with a list of like, you know, 10 or 15 shooters, well, that's, you got a lot to work with, you know, sometimes too much. Run yourself all over the place. That's another topic, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you have that many shooters located or bucks that you're interested in, like you said, if a couple die or a couple shift, more than likely you're going to have two, three, four that you've got a pretty good shot at when season comes around by just having those numbers uh, in your favor. So with, with these big, the big mature bucks that you're finding in the summer, where are these bucks most of the time located? If are they all random or is there something that's similar? Um, you know what I do see um, some of them when they're grouping up in their bachelor groups is we get a lot of prevailing Souths and Wests here winds and they need airflow because they're hot. It's hot. You know, think about it. You, you've been in, in the middle of woods on one of those days, it's like 95 degrees, it's humid as hell and there's no air moving. And you're just standing in this creek bottom like, God damn, let's get out of here. You know, yeah. they're in that all the time. So in my opinion, they want to be somewhere that it's like the reverse of thermal cover in uh, the winter. It's more like thermal cover for cooling purposes in the summer edges, fence rows that have a nice breeze flowing through them, somewhere they can see if visibility, um, places where air flows through there. I, I feel like and that's not always a, a given, um, but they don't like to be any hotter than me or you do. And I think like they like to get out into the fields of an evening and just kind of like, gosh, get out in the open, you know? 
Yeah, I agree with you. If I'm, uh, homie knows Tina's timber, um, and it was loaded with summertime bucks. So we, I always had this thing like, if you want to find summertime bucks, go to a spot where you think there'd be no deer during deer season. Like it's too open to have deer when hunting season's on. There's 100%. bucks in there in the summertime, and that's exactly what Tina was. Tons of velvet bucks in there. It was just a big open timber bunch of ridges bunch of big oaks with no underbrush hardly and the wind blew through there and they just loved it during the summertime but when you know after the leaves fell there was nothing there there wasn't right. deer in sight but um that's that's where we found the summer bucks was the same thing as you as those more open airflow um because they're they know they're not threatened by much they can see a long ways in there and it's so much cooler that and most of the time like i said it it's a lot of that kind of openness is close to a field. So they don't have to go very far for food at the end, you know, towards the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I think what, what, don't forget like shade lines. Um, they don't necessarily have to be bedded in the woods. If you think about it, if there's a big shade line that creeps out into CRP, um, shit, that'd be great. You're not in the woods where the air doesn't flow and you're in a nice big grassy bed, like, I feel like that would, you find a lot of those bucks in the evenings now along these shade lines. It would make sense to find them in the shade during the middle of the day too. Um, but it's more about staying cool, I think, don't you? Yeah, I've seen a bunch of them just bedded in bean fields, you know, just chilling out in the bean field, kind of like right on a shade line out there just chilling you know then you just catch the tips of your rack and you're like oh shit there's buck out there that's right bedded up so um like i said they're just they're they're a different creature this time of year they don't mind being visible um so they're find a giant is where he you know he, he might be there during the season but he's probably not going to be bedding in the same area that he is right now so Clint, you uh, you said you found you're on, you're on one right now. You got your number one hit lister located, um, and now you're trying to fill out that second, two, three, and four spot there on your list. Um, now that you've got number one located, how often are you going to go back and try to keep tabs on him throughout the summer? As much as possible, as much as I can. Uh, I I have been on scouting missions for him probably. 10 times or so. Um, and I've only seen, I've seen three out of 10 nights and uh, it's, but I can do it here. Uh, I, I can, I can get in and out with this hide spot that I've got. There's two of them that I've got for him and I can get in and out almost perfectly every single time. Um, no matter what the wind is, um, got long distance visibility, but I, I like to, I want to know who he is on the hook. You know what I mean? Like I just wrote an article for North American Whitetail about this called profiling, profiling your buck. Um, not just, yep, he's alive, but you know, does he travel alone? Does he travel with two other bucks? Um, how does he act around them? Um, does he act like dominant or is he subordinate even though he's really big? Like there's a lot of elements that you can put together just by watching, I think. Um, now you can't put it all together, but the more you see him before D-Day, when you're getting that string tight, I think the I think the better. I think it's it's worth the pressure. It's worth it. 
Yeah, and just to correlate along with what you said there is like, you know, before we were running trail cams in video mode, we just had pictures. And then, you know, we started running video mode and then we'd have an encounter with a buck and it'd just be another piece. And just like you were saying, the more you see them, the more you get to know that deer. And I don't know how many times we will either have an encounter with that deer or um, shoot a deer. And like, it is all of a sudden, like everything fills fills in the blanks for us, you know? So I can definitely see how getting eyeballs on him more and more and more is definitely going to help you later in the season. Yeah, there are some bucks that are really, um, like in the summertime, if you see them, they're, you can just tell they kind of want to be off by themselves, off to the side. There might be in a bachelor group, but they're like way out in the perimeter, you know, and they're, they don't, they don't ever like beef up towards another one. They're just kind of subordinates. Bucks like that, I don't really want to call to. If like, hey, there he is, better call. Oh, don't call to him. You know, like you just got to read who you're dealing with. Now you can't, it's not an exact science. There's nothing, uh, there's no metric that we can measure here. But I think the more you get a personality vibe on him, the, the better off you can use. You might find his Death Star spot. You know what I mean? You might find that one little piece that, like you said, homie, puts it together in the click. With uh, with these bucks, you're on, you said, maybe 10 or 15 of them. How far are these deer roaming right now? Are they staying pretty tight to a core area, or are they traveling a pretty good distance this time of year? Uh, individual differences. Um, most of them are pretty tight to the same uh, general vicinity, especially if they've got shade, water, and and beans or, you know, forage. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did see a shift, though, a little bit when everybody started. Um, it was really dry around here, um, and all the farmers in the area cut their wheat, bang, 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 on the, all on the same, like, four or five days. And all of a sudden, the bucks I was seeing – in some areas were starting to really either fall off the radar. I couldn't find them again. I, and they shifted around these, some of these wheat fields. Now there was quite a bit of wheat planted around me this year, but I, I think it's, I think it's dependent on available food source and, and crop rotation, stuff like that. But the by and large, most majority of them, they hold pretty tight. I think, don't you guys? Yeah, I think, I think our, if we find a buck during summer and we, he's still alive, I feel like if we put a trail camera back in that core area where we had him last year, boom, he's back. Then they, they have their summer zone and they, the bucks that we find, they don't really change it. Yeah. They might during hunting season, they might do radical stuff. Like we got one buck and he has no home range. He has no core area. He just does whatever the hell he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And then, but during the summer, He's normally in the same spot, you know, he, he has been, and that's where we first found him, you know, glass in the field and boom, there he is. And then we put, you know, years of work in on him and realized, um, I don't think that he's a killable deer. He's just, just, just out there, just <laughs> doing whatever he wants, man. Man, that deer I was chasing a few years ago, I called Dobie McMahon. He was the same freaking way. And I finally just had to no joke bail on him. Like, I can't do this anymore. He has had no discernible 
core, this is where he likes to bed. Not even during the time of year. Like sometimes you can get a seasonal bed pattern on some of these guys. Never could put the puzzle together on him. And I finally just had to like, look, I'm done here. Can't, I'm, it's not that he's unkillable. I just haven't learned through a lot of time investment what I need to learn. And I should be going and, and investing that yeah, time. Yeah, he's elsewhere. not worth hunting because there's easier bucks out there. <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> easier, but more, uh, more that you have an advantage over, I think. Yeah. If, if this deer comes by, hell yeah, he's probably. 110 inches by now but he's going to get swapped but it's just the fact that i mean what what he he came back in october that one time homie at like noon right like the fourth october he was gone then he showed back up at like noon yeah I'm like, what are you doing just doing doing his normal thing man yeah just <laughs> come random. back get a scrape at noon on october 4th and then rolled out yeah we didn't see him till the rut what he's doing is he's feeding you false intel there. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was like, he was like, I'm in here, boys. Come get me. And we're That's like, right. oh, shit, he's in there. He's in there. We gotta go get there. Yep. Saddle up, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're we uh, we're kind of talking about trail cameras here a little bit, so let's get into that. I know that you're utilizing some. I know that you're finding most of these deer off of past knowledge of where these deer are kind of on your hit list, but how are you utilizing trail cameras right now to it's, stay you on? Know, it's, I'm glad you guys have been talking about it to segue into this. You guys have made mention already a couple times that if I go back into a spot, if I'm a, if I know a buck is still alive from last year and I go infiltrate that spot that I got him on camera last year, good chances are he might get him again. Right. So I think a lot of guys, and I used to be this way where I would just flank field edges. You know what I mean? Just shade line the hell out of every camera I got over beans, hay, easy picking stuff, right? Well, then I would struggle. I would have a great big hit list, but then I would struggle with what to do with it. So what I'd like to do now is find a bunch of good winter sign and pin it fresh on Onyx map. And, and if I've got a holdover buck that's, in that same area, instead of like field edge and everything, find him, just confirm that he's alive. You don't need a hundred photos of him, but then take those cameras, sink them back into those historical pins from last winter, do it 4th of July weekend is what I did. I was putting them over interior scrapes, interior buck beds, big doe bedding areas, all on video mode, just like you're saying, the more you can learn the better, right? And back the hell out. And, and let them soak, just let them rip. And if that big bastard that you're watching visited a great big scrape last year and he hits it once or twice in the summer, and we're talking a natural interior hub scrape. If he hits it once or twice in the summer, just to nuzzle it and check it, he gonna be back in there. He, he will be back in that spot sometime. Like it's, it's not perfect. Uh, that's a good theory to try. And I've had some super luck over those interior stripes with cameras and, and hunt sites. Yeah. We've had way better luck off of sign in the woods and scrapes, um, heavy trails, creek crossings, instead of the field edge trail cams. Um, I, we've got some good deer on field edge, but we get a lot of random deer that we didn't even know existed on that field edge. And like you said, it kind of throws a wrench into, man, I got, I got this deer over here, but now I got this giant that just showed up 
that you have no intel on. You got two or three years of intel on this other buck. Right. You kind of wash him and try to get this new buck. And more than likely, if he's a random buck that just showed up on that field and you ran cams there all last year, more than likely he's not going to be there. And um, I feel like that's what, like you said, a lot of people get tied up into. They run, they run them on, you know, a bait side or they run them on uh, an ag field for us or something. And they're getting a lot of big deer and they get really excited and they're thinking, man, I, I'm going to go after this one. And then they're mad because that deer left. I think it's way more valuable to spend time on don't don't wash out the giant that showed up, but still spend time on your, hey, this buck was here last year. I got a good idea how I can kill him instead of throwing that guy to the curb and trying to pick up a, a fresh new hottie that showed up. Yeah, it's easy to get drugged to the side and been like, yeah, I've got, like you said, I've got plenty of historical data on one, but then you get this new rando that drops your, you know, yeah. you get the first <laughs> series of photos and you're like, oh, okay. And you start the process all over again. You don't want to ignore the new hottie. You just yeah. need to keep tabs on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to keep going after those one. The more you've got on one, we're talking historical. I love finding them the year before I kill him. That if I don't kill him after the first 365 days in that following hunting season, I'll probably never kill him. It's something I don't know about him. You know what I mean? But man, if I can find a little bit of winter intel on him or the season before and he's still alive, oh, love it. Yeah, it just gives you so much more that one year of hunting them. I think we're at like the three year stage. We need three good years <laughs> of hunting them. <laughs> Maybe we can. We got to start hunting deer when they're three year old. Yeah. So we can kill them at, at max potential at six over here. <laughs> So, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's what it takes us. It takes us a couple years to understand. Uh, and I think, well, a lot of it for us is just, it's new property, man. We haven't had property long enough to understand um, what it is that makes the deer on there tick. But one thing about summer is once you, you've hunted a property four five, six years, and you got that good spot where you're like, okay, this scrape in August is going to be money. If you're not in there messing that scrape up, that scrape's going to be money. Like it, yeah. it doesn't change, especially if you haven't killed those bucks that hit that scrape. So I think people kind of over, over effort this time of year, overthink this time of year. When if you're on ground, you've hunted for a long time, this is good. Okay. Let's run a cam there. Let's have a one for sure deal. And then let's use some cans to find a giant. Yeah. What, uh, since we're talking about bucks going and the new hottie and like, I always believe like a random buck on there, like first time it's a fluke. Okay. And like, I've got to see it three to five times. He'd be like, okay, he's kind of hanging around. This is just going to be like a summer buck. Like every buck I get that's in velvet, I think is just a liar. Cause I mean, he's going to be gone. You know, I've, I've been heartbroken so many times about getting a nice velvet buck on cam. And then next thing you know, the son of a bitch is gone come October 1st. So, I've got to, it's got to be more of a repetitive thing than it is just, you know, oh man, but it is nice to get a picture of a random giant out there. I will say that. Um, Clint, in your experience, what percentage of your velvet summer bucks are you going to have that are going to be huntable this coming fall? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
less than, uh, definitely less than 50%. You know, we'll, um, like, it's, I've never, I've not always been this way, but over the last, say, five years or so, I've, I've really tried to start the season with a strong list because my wife likes to hunt, my boy likes to hunt, and my <laughs> brothers <laughs> like to hunt. And we, uh, the more we got the, that we know of, the better, but how well do you know that list? You know, so like you were saying, homie, those ones that you only have just maybe three months worth of summer intel on, uh, if he shifts out of there, he might show back up during the rut and so on and so forth. It's good to know about him, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, you can't let yourself fall in love with one like that. You got to be objective and have enough. Like, I don't, I, I try to have enough, like, checks in the kill box before I go in on one you know what I mean like it's it's hard decision to make and sometimes it's revolves around the weather or cold fronts or crop harvest or the stage of the rut even you know like it's it's really easy though to pare that list down and I'd say probably if I had to give you a solid number 33.33 percent a third you know those are the ones that I'll, I'll pick three or four and really go in halt like whole hog on yeah, I would say that's a pretty solid number. I was going to go about 40-ish percent. You know, it's a little less than 50. It's definitely less than 50. I agree. Just off that, like, every two bucks you get on cam, one of them's gone. And, you know, it's always like the big ones always leave, and you always got that bullshit two-year-old hanging around that'll just keep that scrape opened up for you all summer long. Can't get rid of that guy. So. Um, oh, that guy, you ain't got to go in there and refresh it. That's the OG. Yeah, out that's there. yeah, that is <laughs> kind of exactly what you want right now. Yeah. <laughs> Guy just yeah. keeping that thing going. I'll tell you one spot that I found this last weekend that I've never really tried this before. Um, so right where Wildside was bedding last year, um, I hiked way up in there just out of curiosity, thinking, I wonder if there's anything bedding in there this summer. And dude, I am not kidding you within a foot of where this deer was bedded last summer and a lot of confirmatory, like classic um, uh, standing up out of his bed and stretching video. You know what I mean? Dude, there's two great big buck beds in that same exact spot. And I flanked that thing with video cameras, not in the bed, but the trails leading out of it, like hoping he'll walk underneath it and, and to, with his back to it. There's already something. So I've never had that phenomenon. You always hear about guys saying, that, yeah, an old mature buckle, you know, hone in on another one's territory once he's gone. Eh, you know, how often do you get to practice that? Never. Not very often. I, I thought, hell, with it. I'll put a couple cameras here just for fun and see what, what it brings. So I'm just going to let those things rip until about, oh, uh, you know, second, third week in September. And then slip up there when it's uh, on a day where it's kind of warm and dry. See about see what's in there. That's how I killed uh, my second October fifteenth buck was on a bed that I a buck I killed came off of. Went back, killed that buck early. Went back in there during shed season, and it was a lit up a sign. I was like, damn, I, the buck that was using this, I there's no way he made all these rubs and shit fresh looking. I mean, he was dead October fifteenth. And then uh, found it, hung a stand on it, but knew there was another buck using it, went in there, first hunt, and killed another one off it October 15th. <laughs> <Crazy>. So <laughs> crazy, man. Just 
uh, he moved out and that deer moved in. I killed him in October. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Why, why are they there? I I've said this a thousand times, big bucks, like big buck areas. If there's a, there's a reason why that giant was there. Something about it makes them feel right. Gives them that tingle. And then another, another buck that potentially has a genetics potentially doesn't, but goes up in there realizes that there's no one in that zone and says man this this has got everything i need to survive and they just move in it's that's we've seen it year after year if you see a giant buck in an area that it's not the rut more than likely there's going to be another giant buck in there within the next couple couple years it's just there's just something about the genetics of the ground the area of the ground the pressure they just like those areas. But I think, you know, I don't know if it's a genetic thing. Maybe he's got a little bit of his bloodline in there. They they feel the same way. I don't think it's that deep. I think it's just it worked for one buck. He liked it. Um, and I feel like all bucks are different. But when they get to a mature age, they get more similar in the way they act. They're not aggressive. They're kind of loners, you know. Uh, most of them, some, you got some bully bucks, but most of them kind of don't come into calling. They get more alone, you know, get away from other deer, want to be by themselves. I feel like if you kill an older deer, another older deer is going to move right back into that bed. And and that bed I found, dude, is such a superior location. Um, it's got all the elements of terrain feature and security and like we're talking maximum security right it's so impenetrable that it even sketches me out going in there in the middle of summer like you just don't want to foul a spot like that up um but there's enough cover i think like you know i think i can get away with it when the conditions are right but it's that it's i'm not kidding you dude those beds are almost carbon copies of one another like they're right, they're right on top of one another. It's in the same little shitty spot. To to look at it at face value, you walk right by it. It's just one of those areas. But I think you're right. Those older bucks, they kind of have a knack for finding what they like, and they like to not be harassed. Yeah. Yeah. By anything, coyotes. Yeah. Uh, bobcats, coyote hunters, coon hunters, anyone. You know, they're going to be in there where they like to be secluded, man. The buck that moved into mine, um, he hit the same rubs as the deer that I was targeting and killed, but he moved his bed five yards lower down the hill than the old buck, which I thought was weird. Um, He was, but was easier for me to kill because he was five yards further out of sight for me to get in the stand. And sometimes that's all it takes. So I was like, oh, this is going to be better. So I moved in closer on him than the other buck. And uh, he stood out of a stand, hit his scrape, walked right to me. And I was hunting right on the transition of where it's thick as hell to where it opens up. He popped into the open. You know, not just the op- more open timber is all it was. That transition line. I During season, there's something about those transition lines that I draw to. I want to be in thick shit but I want to be able to shoot. And I think those bucks like to flirt that edge to where they can see, but then they can get into the thick stuff in an instant and, and be solid. But 
this was on a point. He had kind of a, a point with two rolls on each side. So he could go off either three direction. And then he had a flat to come up to Oaks and he was 250 yards off the field. Um, the first one I killed probably 150, 200 yards off that bed. The second one I killed like 75 yards off of it. just because he gave me that extra, extra stretch to, to go over there. But um, so summer bucks, are you keying in on summer beds right now to, to find um, these two also? Experimentally. Um, like when I'm, so with HBK that I'm working on that big hit lister, um, that's kind of one element that I didn't have a lot of last year while we were hunting him, but I got a really good indication of this year when I winter scouted him. Um, and so I do have a few cameras that I squeezed in tight to some of that real thick and some of it's just like you said, dude, some of those transitions from really thick, gnarly, impenetrable stuff to wide open. And man, there's something about those. Um, so I've got a few cameras on bucks. If I'm, if I've got a reasonable winter suspect, and I want to just investigate that area, I'll throw up those cameras in the summer with a great big fat SD card in them, 10 second video clips, and let them roll until about you know late September, early October. Go in there and investigate on a hunt. Sometimes you know. Yeah, homie, that makes me think of that Fleming piece. You remember that bed that we found there, on that that double roll point uh where your buck come out of yeah but with the one that was and the bottom stand oh, oh okay. i went up okay yeah that was like a perfect bed and we were gonna run a cam on it and never did but mm -hmm. there was probably a giant in there during the summer and then it we checked it that this fall and it was there wasn't anything in there so it was a summer bed but yeah it was another one of those spots man where it was just like this is just too perfect for a two-year-old to be bedded in. You know, you yeah. can just You made mention it. of it where a buck will sometimes hole up on a spot where he's got what I call a jump zone, right? Where he's got, I could jump to this side and put the creek in between me and the bad guy. I can jump to this side and put another hill in between us. I can jump to this side and be out in a wide open field uh, and turn the afterburners on. So I like those beds that are like that. It gives them multiple hop spots. That way they can avoid anything that's coming their way it's the right they absolutely love that yeah and that's exactly the the scenario that the bed cody was talking about was and i mean it was it was a huge one like it took up the whole damn berm and you could just tell it was a a, a bigger deer than you know like a two-year-old um on the verge of summer bucks here have you had any experience or i know you like to experiment with a lot of different shit out there um, have you done anything with any type of water holes? You know, we live in a, a prairie, that, but it, we get enough backflow from the river and creek water that I just haven't put a lot of time into creating like artificial water. Um, but in the summer, if, if I can, if I'm on a prairie spot where I know it's been super damn dry, and there's an old scrubby cattle pond or any kind of unusual water source where it might water might be limiting. Yeah, I'll tr I'll try some cameras over water, um, especially when it's been like if you're in drought monitor status. I feel like water's a good idea, but you got to keep in mind whitetails being ruminants. 
a lot of the stuff they're eating that's pretty green, they're getting their water out of plant material as well through through wet matter intake. So um, I think water in when it's when it's limited is a great play in a hot dry summer. Uh, but if you live in floodplain ground where there's water everywhere, it's even though it's summer and it's hot, it's less less valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I want to kind of shift back here, back to the trail cameras on um, these buck beds or trail cameras that you have on these trails going in there. Um, this is something that Cody and I have kind of um, just put in, in our brain here when we do put cameras out is like, what is the expectation? What do I expect to be on this camera when I come and check it in a month and a half or two months? Um, some of these beds, I think, are summer beds or maybe something that you've seen in the winter and you're going to set up on since you're going to leave it for such a long time here in the summer. Um, so kind of just detail out what you're expecting from some of these cameras being that um, it might not be fire right now, but as it gets closer to season, when it starts to count, it is going to be more valuable. Yeah, homie, I, I just put out um, on the 4th. Uh, I just blitzkrieged a bunch of stuff uh, that I needed, but deeper stuff, you know, um, not just field edge shit. And I got, um, I, I got a couple of cameras on a spot where I know there's a shooter buck holdover from last year, but instead of focusing on all of his shit for a minute, I wanted to know more about where the does are bedding in that area. Um, and so what I want to see, I've got, these are two random bullshit trails that I know connects two big sections of doe bedding to the north and to the south. And if the trails have come through there on an angle, so it quarters the wind and he can smell everything from one direction, so on and so forth. But these little trails that I put them on are little dumpy creek crossings. All I want is a steady flow of does on a camera like that. And every now and again, I want a summer buck to come cruising through there, just taking an excursion. You know what I mean? Um, and if that's the case, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stand over one of those probably. And, and that's just an experimental. Um, like I know there's good deer there, but I need to know more about how they're using that terrain where I want to hunt. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm glad you yeah, said that's one thing that a lot of people don't, don't think about is when the does bed, most of the time they don't change their bedding. Like they got their spot, they got their travel direction that they're going to go. They're not like a buck where he just disappears. If you got does bedding in one draw, more than likely they're going to be there throughout the rest of the year. I, I don't see a big shift in does. Um, so if you, if you, especially if you're on a new piece right now, I think a guy should hang some cams to figure out where the does are bedding. Absolutely. Um, especially if he has no, you know, past history or scouting on it. Um, if you don't get it done in October, you're going to be dependent on those does a lot and you need to know kind of what they do for one to know what the bucks are and for two to know how to hunt the property without boogering the does you know and i think that's why our private piece cody is becoming shittier the later in the year it gets because we've seen the doe numbers dropping mm-hmm. so i, I neighbors just... neighbors love to shoot does we don't have a problem with neighbors shooting bucks really <laughs> no but uh <laughs> they're in there and they shoot the crap out of does and well, we killed one doe off it in five years. Yeah. We just won't kill does out there because there's just not very many deer does on the property. There's a lot of bucks. If we could hold more does, that place would be fire. If it was we October. Need to trap a couple yearlings and release them in there and be like, <laughs> all right, right here, bean field, water, <laughs> yeah. everything you need, bunch of grass. Just don't leave. Just stay here. I won't kill you. 
We'll make a pat right now. Just chill up here. <laughs> That's a real thing, though. Like, the last couple of years, uh, a couple of the bucks I've shot were targeting – I mean, we were targeting that buck, but I wasn't hunting aggressively near his bed or anything spooky like that. You know, later in the year it gets, the more I drift over to – travel corridors in between doe beddings you know and and it's not just high volume corridors like people talk about all the time the magic funnel right well yeah uh, those creek funnels and stuff like that funnels exist and they're great and all but i want i want an avenue trail that leads to, through or adjacent to the backside of downwind doe bedding you know like we get a lot of prevailing souths and wests here and I want a nice cross-cut trail that goes behind that doe bedding so I can set up on the downwind side of it and hopefully intercept it. You know what I mean? And it works. Like, it, it's, it takes a lot of um, experimenting, and sometimes you just got to go try something random before you kind of unlock it and go, yeah, this is the avenue. This is, this is the pipeline, we call it. Where those key... You know, even if it's two does, three does, like we got patches of three does and they were on that one cam every day at, in that bottom. We know exactly what they do. Sometimes they had bucks with them. Sometimes they didn't. But that three doe group is when homie almost killed a 190 inch deer off that same three doe group. You know, the we've been following yeah. those same three does and pretty much know their direction of travel. No one's killing them. Um, and sometimes there's a giant on them, you know, just because we know we ain't got a lot popping. We ain't got a lot on trail camera. Okay, let's go hunt the, the doe pack. They're either, you can hunt them in the morning on the left or the evening on the right. Like, that's your choice. <laughs> you know, there's just not a lot of choices there. But sometimes just being like, all right, I haven't checked this doe group out over here. Maybe one of my bucks has hold up one of them. Knowing where they're at is key, and you can find them right now. Oh, yeah. And I, I sometimes... You know, I'll put pins in those onyx maps uh, where doe bedding is, and I'm sure it probably doe bedding shifts some when they're fawning and you know and having and, and lactating supporting fawns, but I think it all stays reasonably close to similar once all that dies down, and it's repeatable year in year out. You know, I can I can take you to a farm right now, any hour of the day and night, you can walk in there and scatter does like matchsticks to the wind every time. Yep. And if you've got a target buck that's in that area, you know, instead of once you get past about November the 7th, uh, at least in my experience, you know, it's time to start focusing less on strictly buck sign and, and buck habits and start really keying on some of those uh, doe bedding. Well, it just exactly what Cody was talking about is like, that's the part where you stop, like, you have to stop overthinking the shit. You, you don't have anything on cam. Nothing's really popping. Nothing's really moving. So what makes the most sense? Go to where you're seeing deer moving and go there and set up. And then next thing you know, giant just damn near falls right in your lap. And that's the part of our game that we're getting better at is, like, just stop overthinking the shit. Just go out there and put in a good hunt. And stay positive. And so, yeah, stay stay po as positive as you can for as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even if even if you're getting your ass kicked, 
like my wife is just kidding me. Um, I wrote an article for North American about uh, power of positivity and she laughed when I told her the title. She's like, they ought to have to live with you around November the 7th. (laughs) (laughs) She says says every year it's going to be the worst year you've ever had, but it never is. How is it? I'm like, uh, she's got a point. So I need to practice what I preach maybe, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, It's hard to stay positive when you're just getting your ass kicked. You know, yeah, but you never uh, know, man. It takes that. No, you never know. It takes that it one minute. And you've got to be there. Yeah, that's the key. You got to be there, and you got to, you got to be, not just in the woods. You need to stay in the game mm. to where you know where you need to be. You know, you being in the woods is key, but you gotta, you gotta still be in there thinking, game planning, making moves to know to know where to go. Well, like you were just mentioning, you know, like just hunt with some common sense. Like ask yourself, like, what is the goal of today's hunt? Who am I after? And where are we at in his annual calendar year? You know, whether it's October 1st or whether it's November the 15th, you got to see it without seeing it. You know what I mean? You got to speculate on it and give it your best shot. But, but don't put no well, witch dust on pretty, it. Yeah, no way. Yeah, no bullshit. Don't put yeah. no bullshit on it. No cute stuff. That's what I get. Yeah, no cute it. shit. No more cute shit. <laughs> Ain't no time for cute shit out there. I got to kill deer. Yeah, I'm trying to kill. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to touch on, homie? Or are we good to wrap this no, one up? No, I, I, I got everything out that I wanted to get out. All right, Clint, you got anything else? I think that's it, guys. I appreciate you having me, and thanks all for the, the listeners for, for paying attention to us, too. Appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on once again and gracing us with your presence. And I, uh, I already know what you're on, so I can't wait to see him on the ground. He looks like a, a magnum out there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, boy, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, go out there, find your velvet buck, keep tabs on him, and uh, track that deer down. Um, it's all about putting the work in. That's all year round. And uh, now it sucks. Everything sucks. Shoot your bow in the yard. <laughs> out there, bug your bite. It's just a crappy time of year to be a whitetail hunter. But the good stuff's coming. You just got to embrace the suck right now for the next few months because it's going to be go time before you even know it. Um, like always, try to do the right thing. Try to leave a legacy. And whitetail legacy is out.